Welcome to another edition of Mormon Land. I'm Managing Editor Dave Noyce. I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by our senior religion reporter, Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hello, Hi, Peggy. Dave. Hey. Questions persist even now inside and outside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about the $100 billion reserve the faith reportedly has amassed in an investment account. To offer his insights on the topic is D. Michael Quinn, a scholar who has done the deepest dive to date into the world of Latter-day Saint finances. His 2017 book, Mormon Hierarchy, Wealth and Corporate Power, remains the definitive volume on the subject. Dr. Quinn, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you in town and here with us in studio. For starters, uh, Mike, what, what were your immediate impressions when news reports came last month about the $100 billion account the churches, at the church's investment arm, Ensign Peak Advisors? Well, uh, since the Great Depression uh, and the church more than once was on the brink of uh, a cash flow crisis, even bankruptcy, the church began amassing in, after the renewal of good, strong uh, national uh, economy in 1940, um, what the church leadership called a reserve fund. And it was designed to avoid the uh, cash flow and possible bankruptcy issues that had arisen. And despite that, uh, another cash flow crisis occurred in 1960. But uh, under the direction of J. Reuben Clark, the fund was very conservative. He put any money that was not used to uh, pay for the expenses of the church each year into banks, just getting commercial income, and these were Mormon banks. Uh -huh. And that was the only one and the only thing he trusted. He was very conservative. But um, there were times when he put as much as 75% of the annual income from tithing into this reserve fund. He was uh, really anxious to limit the, um, the expenditures. Uh, after he died in 1961, a couple of years later, the uh, financial uh, diploma, not diploma, but um, the financial responsibility of the church was handed to a Canadian named uh, N. Eldon Tanner, who was a counselor in the First Presidency, and he was by himself an independent millionaire before he became a member of the church's leadership. And uh, he came in at a time when there was a cash flow crisis with the church because during a three-year period, an expanded building program um, that was based on 20-year projections of current baptism rates and uh, resulted in uh, buildings that could, could seat 1,500 people for a congregation of 50. Hmm. And the expenses of this, which all had to be upfront expenses, wiped out the reserve fund. And so when he, uh, when N. Eldon Tanner became the counselor in charge of finances, the church wasn't even sure in 1963 if it could meet its payroll for the employees at church headquarters. That's how serious it was. Um, and he established procedures which my understanding uh, are procedures that have continued to the present. And this reserve fund, uh, in my view, is conservative. And I know 100 billion is a huge amount of money, 
but uh, maybe as we can discuss later, I think in terms of the church's worldwide expenditures and its commitments to congregations, not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world, um, that that hundred billion, if there were another Great Depression, worse than the Great Recession, that we experienced at the beginning of uh, first years of this century, if something like that occurred again, that 100 billion wouldn't last for more than a few years. Wow. So is is this the only, the main investment or entity of the church, this EPA uh, thing, or do they have, they obviously have other money, right, someplace? Right. Um, in 1998, a biographical sketch of Roger Clark, who was president of Ensign Peak Advisors, stated that EPA, quote, has responsibility for part of the investment reserves of the LDS Church. And that is all that they acknowledged and have ever acknowledged about EPA. It's just, it handles a fraction. What fraction? They've never said of the total income and resources of the LDS Church. But this is consistent with my 1974 discussion with a fellow in one of Manhattan's investment firms. And I don't remember his name, but I met him at a social hosted by Clark Hinckley in Manhattan, son of then-apostle Gordon B. Hinckley. And the young man said that he worked for one of Manhattan's major investment firms. And, I, and, and within the, the industry, the financial industry, there are multiple terms for various kinds of, of uh, entities that manage, invest, etc., money. And I'm only using a generic term, investment firm. But he said that in his investment firm, the LDS Church required its uh, CEO to sign a document uh, agreeing that the church fund or the church account for this entity would be managed by a return missionary with a current recommend, a temple recommend for the temple, and that he would be the only one in the business who knew anything about the church account, the Mormon account. And then this young man told me that in the Manhattan ward, there were several other friends of his who had the same kind of position in Manhattan's other major financial entities. And he knew what he was managing, the amount of it, the kinds of things he was doing with investments, but he had no knowledge of what his friends were doing at each of the other major investment firms in Manhattan. And I asked him if that was the extent of it, that Salt Lake had its own investment department, which I knew about and had seen documents from. But uh, he said no. He said that the church had the same kind of system set up by N. Eldon Tanner of very highly compartmentalized knowledge of the church's portfolio in similar investment firms in Boston, Chicago, and San Francisco. So the major centers. Yeah, yeah the major centers. That's what he told me in uh, 1974. Now, because the church has large commitments internationally, my guess is that this system, which was verified briefly by saying uh, by the EPA uh, CEO or president uh, saying that uh, Einstein Peak Advisors handled only part, I assume from that that this same system that was described to me in 1974 exists today. 
but that it has expanded because of the church's international expansion. So I would imagine that the church has at least one investment firm in all of the major financial centers uh, throughout the world, London, Paris, uh, Berlin, Johannesburg, uh, Tokyo, uh, Hong Kong, and uh, others that, that I'm not aware of because I'm not a financial specialist. But um, that's my understanding of how um, diverse this is. And so what the public has learned from this whistleblower, um, David uh, Nielsen, about Ensign Peak examples is only a fraction of the story. Hmm. So was your first impression when you read the story like, oh no, that's 100 billion sounds like a lot, but actually it's much, much more than that. Oh yes, I, I, that's, only a, that, that's only a portion, uh -huh. a fraction of the church's reserve fund. And it has a reserve fund that is partly managed in all of these other locations by uh, in firms for investment. And then it ha maintains also the LDS financial department, which has its own um, management. And few people in any of these companies know anything about what another company is doing, if they know anything at all. So the CEO or president of Ensign Peak Advisors since the, uh, I think it was 19, late 1970s when it was formed, they know their piece of the pie. They don't know what other investment firms are doing, nor what the church financial department is doing. So what's your doing. assessment, then, of the total? Well, it's, I can only say that in my view, the $100 billion reserve fund that Ensign Peak Advisors knows about and manage, manages is only a fraction. Of but what you have of no the research would, would it be fair to think that because it's here, it's the other ones aren't as large? Uh, that I, I, I you, can't, you say. can't say. I can't say. I can't give any okay. uh, sense because even this fellow I spoke with in the uh, 1974 in Manhattan, he had no idea not only what the the other investment firms were handling, he had no idea about the tithing revenues of the church. All he knew was the church had given his firm set amount of money and he was to be in charge of investing it. And as we were talking uh, during this social and I was monopolizing his, his uh, <laughs> party time, I asked him, well, what if, and, and, he, and I knew from my own research, and he uh, had commented on this as well, that non-Mormons donate to the church and typically they restrict their donations such as for educational purposes or for um, humanitarian uh, purposes or charity. Sometimes they don't restrict them. Sometimes they're unrestricted funds to be used by the church as it sees fit. Well, I ask him if a non-Mormon uh, donated stock in R.J. Reynolds, the tobacco company, what would the church do with it? And he said, well, I know what I do with it by my instructions. And he said, I hit a button and it sold. And then I donate the proceeds, or not donate, I uh, invest the proceeds from the sale of that 
stock that is not consistent with LDS values. And I put it into a company that is consistent with LDS values. And he said, this kind of instruction was spelled out very clearly from church headquarters to my firm. That's what he was told. And and so he said, this this has to be the, uh, the procedure elsewhere. That could be really hard to do, uh, of course, because mutual funds and things like that are well, so uh, varied you know, right. in their investment. But that's the instruction huh. he had at the time okay. was that if anything uh, in an investment comes across your desk that is not consistent with the values of LDS headquarters, wow. you are to sell it immediately. Now, these are just reserve funds we're talking about. Well, how, that's how, what how they, they invest. They yes. don't invest anything that they plan to use for expenses. For operations. Right, for operations. Okay. So what was your sense of the whistleblower's account of the tithing revenues? Well, um, It didn't match what you've... You came up with no, it doesn't at all. It's lower, right? He, oh, much, much lower. lower. Maybe yeah. you could just um, talk a little bit about that. Summarize. Well, the one thing, the first, he he admitted, uh, as told primarily by his brother mm-hmm. in the uh, long report his brother gave of the information. Ma- Lars. That Daniel. Lars Nielsen. Yeah. Yes. David, pardon me. That David Nielsen gave, that he did not know the full extent of of Ensign Peak Advisors financial operations, that he, it was compartmentalized, which is consistent with what I had learned in 1974, and that only the senior one or two people in uh, EPA know the full financial picture for EPA. And my assumption, in terms of what I have learned before, is that they know nothing about total revenues of the church, and they know nothing about what other financial terms are doing. And even though he, um, in the report paired by his brother, has an exhibit F1 that states that the church's total tithing received in 2019 was $7 billion dollars, This was not obtained from any official report. The brother's summary stated on page 21, quote, the highest internal estimate for total annual tithing, which is seven billion, unquote. There is no acknowledgement of who made the estimate, which I assume is his brother. (laughs) More important, there is no statement of the basis on which that estimate was made. And that to me is a crucial failure in even a summary report to not explain how you come up with an estimate, no matter what that estimate is, is I think a real, real problem. Um, what, would so, be, what was your... Well, my estimate was based on something that David Nielsen and none of his C, uh, uh, CEOs or presidents uh, of uh, EPA has seen, and that was that uh, the LDS Church provided detailed uh, accounts of income received and expenditures made every year from the 19th century onward. And I examined the reports annually from 1890 to 1963. And those uh, reports were by the presiding bishopric's office and, and, uh, and after 1923, they were by the corporation of the president. And based on the annual growth, particularly from 1950 to 1960, when the church was expanding into developing countries where the converts would have been very 
limited in their ability to contribute tithing, if uh, having an ability at all. I extrapolated from the growth rate and reduced that to a conservative uh, annual growth rate, which came up to tithing equaling about $30 billion in 2010. And in and I explained in the book how I did this and why I concluded that this was um, was a conservative estimate of of income. Now, do you want to talk about expenditures? Let's do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He. Um, let's see. Well, Michael, let me ask you a okay. quick question before that. Let me All ask right. you just a quick question. Um, is tithing the main source of income for the church? No, no. Um, and Eldon Tanner, in uh, interviews that he did with reporters for two financial newspapers late in 19, the 1960s and in the mid-1970s, about the time I was talking with this fellow mm-hmm. in Manhattan, he told the uh, both reporters the same thing, and that was that tithing provided about... Uh, more than half of the church's annual income. Now, by that, I assume from more than half, if he'd wanted to say three-fourths, he would have said three-fourths, that 40%, about masa menos, 40% comes from commercial sources. And tithing mm-hmm. brings in more than half, and I thought 60% mm-hmm. would be reasonable. I have no reason to question that yeah. now. And so if, as I think, my estimate of $30 billion, with a B, mm-hmm. tithing income in 2010 is close to the mark, then my estimate that the other 40% would come up to close to $50 billion annual income from all sources as of 2010 mm-hmm substantially higher now in 2019 mm-hmm. or what the, the concluding okay. result of 2019. Talk about, talk about expenditures. Okay. Um, the whistleblower claimed that LDS headquarters in Utah provided only about $1 billion each year from 2003 to 2013 to subsidize the expenses of the church um, in non-U.S. countries more than a hundred countries outside the USA. And it's not every country where the church has members because in many of these countries, the church has too few members to have a congregation. And, and so the expenses rise significantly when there are congregations to support. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I just say more than a hundred. I have not seen the, the Corporation of the President's report of its global funding system that the whistleblower Nielsen references. But this is what I do know. From annual reports required by every country in the world outside the United States in which the church operates. And that is in 2006, it gave nearly half a billion dollars to one country, the United Kingdom. And um, I found that the Developing countries during the period from 1900, uh, pardon me, from 2000 to 2010, developing countries like the Philippines reported that LDS headquarters provided between 90 and 98 percent of its expenses 
you know, either a check or an automatic transfer electronically from Utah headquarters. In view of that, I don't see how he can claim with one country receiving in 2006 half a billion dollars of all of these more than 100 countries where there are congregations that the average was a billion dollars a year for all of those countries outside the United that States. That just doesn't That just doesn't match yeah. for me. And so my conclusion is that not only did he lowball his estimate of annual tithing, he lowballed his estimate of expenses. And I don't want to get into the issue of motivation, mm -hmm. but the effect of that is to increase the appearance of what the church is investing and reserving in, t in comparison to what it is expending uh, on the church's uh, members and congregations, not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world. Um, and so, you know, I, I think for people who do not feel that churches should be involved in business and finance, there is really no explanation that I or anyone else can give that will make them feel good about any church having anything over $1,000 in operating uh, or beyond operating expenses. But the, in my view, with its obligations throughout the United States and throughout the world and demonstrable uh, expenses that it has for buildings, for maintaining Un unprof uh, or unprofitable land and churches that are only consuming, they are not providing any income to the church, and it's a, 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 a emer emergency aid that it gives throughout the world. I just think that $100 billion, no matter what percentage that represents of the reserve fund total of the church, throughout the world, and it may have distributed this throughout the world beyond Utah, um, that would only last a, a few years if there were a Great Depression that significantly reduced what U.S. members contribute in tithing. Because the fact is that aside from Canada, which on I found in its reports for the 21st century, only received one or two percent of its expenses from LDS Church, and many years it covered all of its expenses from its locally collected tithing. Aside from the United States and Canada, the LDS Church is, is uh, its members in the United States are from the subsidies given by church headquarters of their tithing, supporting everyone else. All the other 16 members, and less than half of that 16 significantly, are contributing tithing within the United States. The um, 16 million. Yeah, 16 <laughs> million mem right, yeah, right. of members throughout the world. Right. And I know um, offhand, on one hand I can count by name, billionaires, tithe-paying billionaires in the United States. And those are the only ones I know from reports. So the church is receiving from its devout members of the church, both the widow's mite, her pennies, mm -hmm. and the uh, poorly employed uh, laborer from his dollars that he or she 
can uh, donate to tithing. And from the billionaires, billionaires largest, they are receiving what keeps the church running. And if there were a severe depression and that declined, the reserve fund would be what would be supporting the church throughout the rest of the world. Mormonland will be right back. Former 60 Minutes producer Mary Mapes will speak at Weber State University in Ogden on Monday, March 30th. Tickets are $5 for students and $12 to $25 for the general public. Tickets available at WeberStateTickets.com. So, um, a couple questions. One is, and you alluded to it, which is this um, whistleblower report and the $100 billion reserve gives an impression to the world, but also to members that maybe, maybe I shouldn't pay, maybe I don't need to pay so much tithing, maybe the church doesn't need my money. I mean, do you see that as, as one of the detriments of this of this whistleblower report? Well, it is a, de a, a detriment in view of the fact that he lowballs the expenditures of the church, in my view, okay. dramatically lowballs it. If the church, as an institution, released even a two-page financial report, even a one-page financial report that indicated its total income from tithing, uh, its total income from commercial sources of all kinds, and it could do that as a one line item like it thing. used to do like it well it never did that not quite for the public extent. it only did that for oh. expenses okay but it didn't do that for income but if it did that and then showed how much is spent given to non-us congregations throughout the world and then compared that to the reserve fund which it could itemize in this one page report i think members of the church would see that and it, it, maybe it would require a narrative expression at the bottom of this one-page report. But I think members of the church would see that if the tithing that U.S. members in particular pay, but also the tithing that is paid by devout members of the church, even in developing countries who have so little income to live on, that the church would collapse financially and would not be able to fund any of the the church uh, structures, the church programs that Mormons experience on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis throughout the world in more than a hundred countries. Wait, so are you saying if if members if they provided that information, the church would collapse? No. If they provided that information the church members would recognize that oh. without oh. okay. U.S. income of uh, tithing by U.S. members of the church, mm -hmm. the church could not maintain uh, its programs for members of the church, which Is, are now more than half of the total church membership. They, they just couldn't. They couldn't do it without the U.S. Not without, not without tithing paid by Is members of the church in, in U.S. That I don't know. Because I can, I you know, I, I haven't had access to the annual reports by the first presidency in the corporation of the president, or presiding bishop since 1963. Mm. All I can say was that it was growing at about a 12 percent rate, even though the church 
was expanding during the decade of the 1950s into uh, what was called then third world countries of great poverty, which now are called developing countries or non-industrial countries. But even in an industrial country, and I want to point this out, like the UK, the total period from 2000 to 2010, on average, the uh, the LDS Church paid sixty percent of its expenses. Headquarters, even, essentially. Even, yeah, mm-hmm. even even as a subsidy, even as a industrial country. Now I don't know if that would be true of France or Italy, or Japan, uh, for its members, but Britain is notably an industrial country, mm-hmm. and its members could not come much closer than half of providing. Their, their expenses through their tithing. And your book looks at some of these countries yes. and explores all those. I mean, yes. We did stories on Tonga, it at the time. Yes. The, uh, New Zealand, Australia, the Philippines, Canada, and Britain, I include. And I also have a little bit from the uh, Republic of South Africa because their reports I found were unavailable to me, mm. but there was one year's report that was online. But the detailed reports, which go down to the penny uh, for each of these countries, um, and, and each country requires that kind of report from its churches. You, uh, the United States of America is, as far as I know, the only country in the world that does not require that kind of reporting to be publicly available. And some people are saying that should happen now. In, in my this. view, it should too. And yeah. the, f- the former um, CEO of Church Finance, J. Allen Blodgett, um, I, I, well, I agree with him, I put it that way, that he feels that if the church today were to issue such a one-page or however many, but a minimum of a one-page statement as I've described, the church members would find that encouraging and that most church members who are tithing payers would, would see that, yes, the church has a lot of money, and yes, it expends a huge amount of money. And the general authorities who preside over this huge corporation, and in, you know, in, in practical terms, it is a corporate church. It is a, a functioning corporation with financial arms all over the world. The, the general authorities only get in salary $125,000 in, in the 21st century annually, excluding benefits, and there are separate benefits, but it's a salary. To put that in perspective, in 2012, when the president of the church over this gigantic, multi-billion dollar uh, wealthy church, when he was making a salary of $125,000 a year, the CEO of the American Red Cross was making a salary without benefits, salary only, of $500,000 for basically an eight to five job with no no telephone calls at two o'clock in the night, Mm -hmm. which the first presidency frequently gets with disasters such as earthquakes or whatever, destroying the properties of the church and killing members of the church and putting them out of housing, which require all of the the services of the church in food, clothing, medicines, and sometimes cash only that it submits for these emergency situations throughout the Let's world. Let's talk about that 
charity first things because President Nelson, interestingly, in the in this recent conference, in the fall conference, talked about Latter-day Saint charities, the sort of humanitarian arm of the church, and said that it had it had provided more than two point two billion dollars in assistance. Now that could be in kind, that could be also no. That's actually, only cash. That's only cash and money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, since the mid nineteen eighties, is that yeah. the only charity the church does? No, the church has the welfare fund which provides all of these in-kind. I mean, LDS uh, philanthropies or, or LD, the LDS foundation, the, the names have changed over the it's years. Latter-day Saint Charities, But yeah. it's now Latter-day Charities, mm -hmm. Latter-day Saint Charities. They handle uh, cash issues. Mm. The welfare fund of the church, the welfare program of the church, which is administered by church headquarters, handles all the in-kind material so that the various factories that the church has primarily throughout the United States, but it also has factories in other locations throughout the world, but most of them are here. They provide food, they provide that is canned or uh, prepared in a way that it can be stored and then used for emergency distribution. Clothing, they, prov they provide uh, assistance, as I understand, of medicines, which have to be required, uh, acquired by cash, but are distributed by the, uh, the welfare plan anytime to members of the church in the United States or throughout the world individually who come in need. And then when there is a disaster in a place such as uh, London or in uh, uh, Say the Northwest with flooding in Idaho, Puerto Rico or, with or earthquakes, in Puerto or Rico, Australia, where there are thousands of fires, members yeah. of the church mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. That aid is shipped by air or or land as quickly as it can to that country. Now, some countries do not accept that, and in so in those cases, the the it has to be by cash. And for example, in the late '90s. There were, uh, were millions of sub-Sahara Africans dying from a widespread famine. And the church sent a, uh, an amount in check or cash or electronic, uh, the means I'm not sure, to Catholic charities. And because Catholic charities had a network in place in sub-Sahara Africa, whereas the church did not have a network for this kind of emergency distribution. And so it partnered with Catholic charities to, to give them the money to carry out the kind of charitable humanitarian work that they carry out, which would be all the things that I mentioned before mm -hmm. in a dire emergency such as a famine. Um, so, it, you know, it, how it operates depends. And, and if it's cash, whether that is sent from the welfare program or whether that is sent from LDS charities or whether it is sent from the, the uh, LDS financial department, I don't know. I, I can't answer that. But this money comes outside of reserve funds. Uh, and it, Yes. It's an operating Reporting expense. Exactly. So it's okay. an operating okay. expense that the church keeps track of annually. And uh, it is, is completely aside from the reserve funds. The reserve funds are for what if something happens and we can no longer depend on those reserve funds for emergency aid, for aiding the poor, the widowed, the orphaned in the United States and, and the homeless throughout the world. What if we can no longer provide 
financial or in-kind aid for disasters like the Puerto Rican earthquake. That's what the reserve is for. In addition to maintenance of and building church structures and all of the other things that the church does. So um, one last question for me, which is, uh, as a historian and a theologian of of sorts. Of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's been a lot of complaints about the church spending money on things like a shopping mall. Um, but as a historian, have you not seen uh, that sort of materialism, taking care of the poor, etc., is very much part of Mormon theology? Oh, yes. It's, it's not a separation. Okay, these will meet these spiritual needs, but... You're on your own for these physical. Yeah, I mean, Mormons uh, theologically are governed by primarily by revelations announced by Joseph Smith, usually expressed in writing as thus saith the Lord. And one of those revelations occurred during the first year of the church's existence in August, in which the Lord said in this written revelation, all things to me are spiritual, and never have I given a temporal commandment to men. And uh, an apostle of the Utah Church, who was also an apostle during Joseph Smith's time, Orson Hyde, put it in really stark terms in the 1860s. He said in a sermon, when it comes to dollars and cents, those are also spiritual to us. So for during Joseph Smith's time, the he with the church's funds, uh, established a hotel, established merchandising, established land uh, sales, established many businesses that were competing with secular uh, firms or uh, partnerships or, or sole proprietorships elsewhere, sometimes even with other Mormons. But the church view theologically is that Running a business with church, with the church's funds, is a much a, as a part of the church's spiritual re responsibility as giving alms to the poor. Now, these businesses contribute their profits not only to stockholders if they are publicly owned, but most of them are privately owned. They are they are not uh, subject to stockholder whims or votes. And the, uh, the profits from those businesses go back into the church. And uh, that's why N. Eldon Tanner in the 1970s was able to say, about half of our annual income comes from tithing, because around 40% was coming from the reserve fund investments, from uh, from these businesses and their profits, which were shoveling their profits as they were able to within their decision of what we need for our operating expenses, giving back to the church. And I've never seen the church return to a, a corporation in my experience in looking at the reports before 1963 that the corporation had originally given it. So, you know, the corporation has to make that decision. Some of these corporations back in those times were led by general authorities. That's not the case now. Mm -hmm. Those general authorities have enough fires to put out with 16 million members throughout the world in 140 company, uh, countries. So the companies now are managed by 
what is, what used to be called in the um, in the church annual reports up until the last one in 1959, these people were called professionals, and they were the ones who handled these corporations, and uh, and the the. Um, the annual reports would refer to them only generally as being another part of the church's structure financially, but did not get into the details of, of income from these entities. Um, so, you know, I can only comment in detail on the dollar amounts up to 1965 yeah. or so. I can comment in terms of extrapolating that information to the present. And in my view, first of all, the uh, Ensign Peak Advisors whistleblower provides important and significant evidence of what he was aware of in his small pie of a very large organization, EPA uh, Ensign Peak Advisors. And Ensign Peak Advisors only has a fraction of the church's total portfolio to manage and invest. So, and he didn't know anything about that total piece of the pie that EPA has. He only knew his one little part of it. So, th if anything, it, this may not comfort some Mormons, but I, to me, it is uh, is a success story without parallel in American history. There is no church, no company that has been on the verge of bankruptcy as many times as the church has, including having all of its assets beyond fifty thousand dollars seized by the federal government for a six-year period, um, to come to this situation, where it has a, a nest egg of multi-billions of dollars, perhaps hundreds of billions of dollars, since EPA only knows what it has to manage. Uh, I just, to me, this is remarkable. And it's remarkable in a church where the leaders are obviously not in it for the money. When, when the president of the church receives one-fourth or one-fifth, 20% of what the CEO of the of a charity, which is also nonprofit, uh, uh, the American Red Cross receives in a year. This is a very clear indication that these men, although they get a sizable income if you compare it to the poor of the Philippines or Mexico or Africa or wherever you might find the poor, who are everywhere, as Jesus said, we have the poor always. One hundred and twenty-five thousand a year is like uh, you know, a, a gold mine dream for the poor. But in terms of our expenses as Americans and the huge resources that these general authorities manage, 125000 a year in salary, or what they love to call it living, well, I don't mean love, they, they prefer to call it allowance, living allowance. But it's a salary. That that is just remarkable, in my view. But just a final question: Isn't that one of the questions? This success story should a church have all of that? Um, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing that some people ask. Well, the only the answer to that question is: What do you deny a church? Do you deny a church the right of voluntary donations from its members who can make them? If you don't deny a church that. Do you not deny the church the right to keep 
for re in reserve what it doesn't use on an annual basis for its expenditures. If you deny the church, then you that any church that res that ability, then what do they do with what they don't expend annually? Do they give it to the government? Uh, do they try to give it to something some other entity? Which also, by definition, if it's a church, the people who object to churches having uh, extra money won't like that either. So my view is if you allow for the church, on all churches or corporations, or virtually all of them are in the United States, if you allow the church corporation, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, whatever, to have donations from its members, you, are you going to try to de deprive them of the right to maintain those in a reserve fund if, beyond their annual expenses and to build a, a, um, a nest egg, if you will? If that's what you're, you're doing, then that's the end of organized religion. And some people who object to church and, and money would f find that fine. <laughs> they would just love to yeah. see all the churches uh, in the United States collapse financially. But I think most people, including most former Mormons who are no longer paying tithing, who no longer describe themselves as members of the LDS Church, I don't think that's what they would want either. They don't want to see an end to organized religion. They just want what they believe is a, it's a moderate wealth involved with these churches. But how can you control that if you allow the members of the church who can donate to donate? And the billionaires that I know of, and I won't name them, but even, you know, they're in the, the national press and they're in the press of Arizona and other places. If those people donating 10% of their billionaire income to the church, is that supposed to stop? Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I just see the alternative, uh, the alternatives, as non-operative, as as not unreasonable, even for those who object to churches having a lot of money. Michael Quinn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And our producer, Sarah Weber. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrip.com to sign up, and we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.